started. And don't worry, I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hey everyone, welcome back uh, to a new season of Fan Zone Debate. Uh, my hair is cut. You know what that means. It's the beginning of the new multiplex season. Uh, so we're going to get right into it. I'm very excited. We teased it at the end of last year, but it's Cody versus Coho. The number one contender match. Winner is moving on to play Kirk for the title. Uh, both of these uh, gentlemen have challenged for the debate title at multiplex here before. Coho uh, actually challenging myself for the belt. Uh, and then Cody going up against Kirk uh, late or middle of last year, I believe, at Mayhem uh in one of the best matches that we've ever had here at debate so i know cody wants it uh coho just likes pissing cody off uh who knows if he actually wants it so we'll see what happens here today uh we're gonna start by bringing in the uh lower ranked player mr coho uh coho welcome uh let me ask you something do you actually want to play kirk or do you just want to make cody mad are you asking which is my ultimate goal or what I, because the, the answer is to make Cody mad. That's, that's always been the ultimate goal. Um, but I, uh, I do that by existing. Uh, so it's, it's easy enough. Uh, I, I always have the same feeling about debate. I come in and you like set up a green room and I'm like, Oh shit, right. Debate. And I got another one to go for. And I got another thing to worry about and think about. And I always get really nervous, like right as the match starts and like leading up to it. I'm like, all right, do the prep, take the time. Do the, and then like the match, and I'm like, I'm fine. And then I get really nervous and then I get in the fight and then I get really loud. And then the fight's over and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that again. And then I like forget about it for like a yeah. week. It's, it's, so I'm like, I'm on that roller coaster cycle around where I'm like, oh, we're at the nerves again. And, and this is a match I've been avoiding my entire life. We literally gave up a title match against each other because we didn't want to do this. So this will be fun. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's bring in Cody. Uh, Cody, uh, welcome back. Uh, you, you, you're, you're an angry man every time uh, you, you play one of these. I feel like our friendship is in stake, at stake and in jeopardy uh, because you get so upset. But that being said, uh, you've proven yourself to be quite good at this. Uh, and... I know you want to get back to Kirk. In order to get back to Kirk, you actually had to go through uh, former champion Jacoby in a really great match, and now you're here to take on Coho. What are you thinking? Um, the sack of potatoes uh, next to me is besides the point. I'm not really worried about him. Um, by his answers, he clearly did not want to win this. Um, but on that, <laughs> I have not stopped thinking about Roy Batty in rain since my last debate against Kirk. Um, Kirk's my only debate loss that I've ever had. And to lose on the last question in a speed round, which I despise altogether because I hate speed rounds because I can't prep for them. Um, I, yeah, that's my number one goal. If I lose to Coho tonight uh, at the You'll never see me again. I promise you. I have followed this man on Letterboxd. I don't think he watches. I don't think he likes films. Um, he's uh, he's just a throne of lies. The king sits on a throne of lies, and I'm just ready to end this so I can see Kirk again, and I can get Kurosawa, and I can get flipping that mediocre director from uh, Pittsburgh that he loves so much about the undead films, and we can just have it out round two. That's what I need. 
Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, here's how the show is going to work. I guess I didn't introduce my judges because I'm terrible at my job. But uh, Brian is here. Brian, welcome. Uh, Brian has been a staple of this program for the last year. Thank you for being here, Brian. Uh, And Mark Menchaca is here to judge as well for the first time. Uh, Throwing him into a hot seat literally is an understatement, uh, but he's here for it. I I messaged him. I said, can you do this? He said, yes. I said, great. (laughs) I <laughs> threw him in the chat the night before. Fantastic. Uh, so we're in for a good one. We'll talk to the judges again later, but here's how this is going to work. So uh, Cody and Caleb drafted some categories. We gave them some questions based on those categories. They gave us some answers, and they're going to debate those questions tonight before our very souls. Uh, then what's going to happen? They're each going to get a one-minute opening, a five-minute free form between each other, and a one-minute closing at the end of that. Mark, Brian, and I will take our handy-dandy boards, write who we think should win that point on our boards. Uh, Whoever gets two out of three votes from the judges wins the point, and uh, whoever gets to uh, three points first is the winner. So uh, that is how this is going to work. Gentlemen, do you have any questions? No. Okay. Then let's get into it. All right, we are going to kick this thing off with a category that was drafted by Mr. Newberry. It is the new fandom category, Law and Order. Uh, The question in Law and Order is, what is the best Law and Order sequel? Uh, So Cody gets to kick this one off because he drafted it. Cody, you get one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Unmute yourself, though, before you start talking. Same year. New year, same me. I'd say the best run of films inside Law & Order is the Lethal Weapons films. From one to four, I think they're all solid. I think the best one is two. I think two, when you think of best, and also I would say the most fun, is number two. Uh, they add a new element with the diplomats from South Africa. Basically, two officers that practice within the law can't use the law against who they are battling against. And I think that makes this one of the most interesting things. They build on the world. Their chemistry is better than it's ever been. And it keeps adding. They, you believe that they actually care for themselves. The humor is turned up by adding Joe Pesci to the mix. And you have some ruthless, ruthless actual villains that you didn't think they could pass uh, the first movie and they added to the second movie. So overall, I think Number two, adds to that 80s cheese, but also in the best ways possible. Done. All right, we'll bring in Coho, uh, who has one minute to open their argument when they start talking. I think when you think about the best sequels, they all have the same thing in common, which is that they open up their world a little bit more and create cohesive uh, narrative threads to the first film. Uh, while also putting your character in a position where they're going to make significant growth in a new way that you wouldn't expect from them. Um, And I think that's why Die Hard with a Vengeance is the best Law & Order sequel, period. Because it takes John McClane, a character who had to be physically stretched to his limits in the first movie with Hans Gruber, and puts him in a situation where he has to be mentally stretched to a totally different level on a much larger scale by someone who is much smarter than Hans Gruber and himself. 
Um, you have incredible, clever riddles and puzzles that he has to go through. You have new characters like Zeus that get introduced that change the dynamics uh, within which John McClane operates. It ties up threads from the first movie by bringing back Hans's brother um, and basically brings about a perfect end to Die Hard in a way where you're like, great, I never need another one. And I think that's what that sequel does better than any other sequel in Law and Order is just makes John McClane a more interesting dynamic character while making a better story. Okay. All right. Lethal Weapon 2 versus Die Hard with Vengeance. Gentlemen, you have five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Please don't speak over each other, or I will be very upset, uh, and uh, I will uh, throw this up if one of you is being an asshole and not uh, giving the other person time, and I will throw this up when you have a one-minute warning. I'll come in to give you a 10-second countdown. Enjoy, gentlemen. You're muted. You're good. Go ahead. Sorry, Tim. See, the problem with yours is, yes, yours builds the world, but yours makes it almost into a, a game that is too big for its own thing. First one, John McLean in the wrong place, wrong time. Same thing goes for the second one. Third one, now he's in the biggest city in the world, and everything makes no sense. And I will wait... I think everybody likes Die Hard of the Vengeance because the first, I would say, hour is fantastic. But it loses a lot once the game stop playing. Once the game stop playing, they are, do not know how to end or finish this movie. With mine, with Merge, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh, when they were able to operate in law and they know that these guys are up to no good and to being told that they cannot operate within the law that they are supposed to reflect – is such an entry dynamic and created the buddy cop relationship that your movie benefits on is the only reason why Die Hard Avengers because you add Sam Jackson. But at the end of the time, Lethal Weapon did that prior. Lethal Weapon 2 is the same movie as Lethal Weapon 1. The only thing you do is add Getz, and he's not no an interesting time. enough addition to make it better. Your dynamic is they're operating outside the law. They operate outside the law in the first one. Like, that's Mel Gibson's whole thing. Like, that's his whole thing. There's no real change there. That's not a real addition. And when it comes to Die Hard with the Vengeance with what you're bringing up here, um, the entire movie, once we get through the riddles of puzzles, is when it becomes actually dramatically intriguing by having the relationship of Hans, or Hans Gruber's brother, Simon Gruber, and why he's in New York, and why this whole plan's coming together, why the smartest criminal mastermind in the world is after this cop from New York, is because he killed his brother. I think that entire plot makes complete sense, and actually makes it even better when you get to Acts 2 and 3, and you could say your my buddy cop movie benefits from yours, I would say mine improves on yours. It's a better dynamic between uh, Zeus and John McClane. Okay, but you, you gotta practice within the world you think. Where is John McClane? John McClane disappears for a majority of this film while he's running, and we get to deal with a bunch of side characters that matters not. Matters not. Uh, we also get his brother setting up all the plans and learning all their henchmen and doing everything. We're also supposed to believe this New York City gets shut down. All these dump trucks come in from New York City. Cops are supposed to be on high alert, and everybody's like, oh, 10 dump trucks come in at no problem? Let them all come in, and they're going to be able to clear out the biggest bank in New York City. Your plot is just over-convoluted and dumb. Even the plots and the plans to get to point A to point B makes no sense. The gallon jugs, these are all things that you're like, okay, John McClane used to just be a regular cop. Now he's a superhero. He's the world's he's the world's greatest detect detective. He's Batman. Mine, how you can ever say that Lethal Weapon 1 is the same as Lethal Weapon 2 is absolutely insane. Murtaugh and Riggs are actually like a family in the second one. They've actually connected. There's that hilarious moment but also the most intense moment of the toilet scene only lethal weapon could have pulled off a scene like that where the man is on the shitter he's been there all night long rig shows up and he's able to save him while he shoots the shit shoots the shitter out of the window 
these are those comedy moments. I mean, you just pitched a scene from Dumb and Dumber, which makes Lethal Weapon 2. And you're saying, what, it's a comedy now? The thing is, issue with Lethal Weapon 2 is you're pitching things that, like, I don't think actively fit in your own premise of fits within the world. You can say the relationship is great, but, like, their relationship is great in 4. Are you going to say Lethal Weapon 4 is the best one? Because it's the same movie. Like, it's the same movie, Lethal Weapon 4, Lethal Weapon 2, Lethal Weapon 4 is better action. So if you're going to break down within your own movie, you have the wrong sequel in your own movie. Um, and when it comes to what you said about convoluted, Simon Gruber is the world's smartest criminal mastermind. He's the most wanted man in the world. And you're, and he's also an international terrorist. So yes, New York's on high alert. Yes, there's going to be logic gaps where people fall through. And here's the thing. Every Law & Order movie is fucking dumb. If you want to talk about dumb and bombastic, your movie's written by <laughs> Shane Black. You don't, you, don't have the, you don't have the legs to stand on. Like when it comes to dumb and bombastic, they're all dumb and bombastic. Mine is just more fun because it ups the ante while also being a perfect sequel to Die Hard by being able to bring the relationship between the Groovers together and why they are after John McClane and the revenge story and the revenge angle. And Zeus is actually really important to the puzzles because he's actually also like a really smart individual who's good at these clues. So I think that answers your argument there. Lethal Weapon 2 gets is not a bigger obstacle than what they already faced. I will get you that they're all dumb and they all have those moments. But my thing is, overall, where the, the plot line resides there, he, they operate outside the law, but the law, they're always able to bring in the criminals. These are absolutely immune to our laws. And when he actually has to take the shot at the end to diplomatic immunity, where he cannot actually take him out, and he shoots him in the head and tells him he's revoked, that's the one time in the series that Murtaugh switches into Riggs's place. Riggs, he finally operates outside his law. He's able to take the advantage, which makes it the best, makes character growth, makes the change that happens, plus a way better villain. Riggs absolutely tries to level another woman again after all the stuff from the first one and he ends up he ends up uh, Murtaugh saying you're a cop at this moment I'm no cop and ends up ripping a house down at the thing mine's over extreme you guys just rush your ending and it makes no sense give me a tip of course now I'm Cody Jesus Christ oh my god all right uh go you get to close first you have one minute when you start talking he keeps bringing up his villains as if it's better or they're acting outside the law. And the thing is, he kills the guy. They kill people in all of them. They're international, like, operating outside the law in Lethal Weapon 3 and Lethal Weapon 4. And the dynamics, the ending he just pitched, has no bearing on Lethal Weapon 3. So they don't care about their own ending. It doesn't actually mean anything. Anything in the Lethal Weapon movies, none of these, like, narrative threads he's pitching actually have any finality or conclusion. Die Hard 3 actually has conclusion and finality with the first Die Hard and makes it a perfect like sequel and actually builds upon that world. And yes, it's a giant convoluted plot. Simon Gruber is a giant larger than life convoluted villain and they make it realistic that John McClane and Zeus can go through these puzzles and that they're being pushed to their limits, which is what makes the sequel interesting to watch. Whereas yours is a carbon copy copy of the first movie. They have the same relationship. They're literally in the same spot. In the first one, they're angry. In the second one, they're angry. And maybe they're angry at a different person, but they're still the same characters doing the same things. Gets is not a more interesting or difficult obstacle than what they did in the first one. They have no real challenges here. They operate outside the law all the time in all these movies. It's nothing new from the other ones. Why not pick Lethal Weapon 4? Time. Uh, Cody, you get to go next. One minute closing when you start talking. If you say the same thing five times, maybe it holds water. But at the end of the day, Riggs and Murtaugh's relationship literally develops from the first one to move on, which makes it the best sequel. The best sequel is actually they're able to build off the world to create a three and four where they're able to go. The best sequel is where it is able to tell the story where they're actually testing in a way different way than the first one. They never even had any of that thing. 
Murtaugh was just trying to hold Briggs. Your movie makes no sense. They rushed the ending. The world's greatest masterminds caught having sex, and that's how he goes down? Like, these are the weird parts of your, your movie. It ends with Tyler. Like the, the Tylenol seems funny, but that's the end. They throw in the yippee Kaye motherfucker line because, hey, I've said it in all the other ones. They're so rushed at the end. I'm saying your movie is fun. No doubt about it. But best, not even close because they have that first hour and they don't know what to do with the last hour. They're playing in the sewers. They're kind of finding gold. They're getting shot on a boat. It's convoluted and messy. Riggs and Martel are best in two, and it's the best sequel. Time. All right. Uh, I have a feeling that caused a lot of pain for a lot of people on this call. Uh, the fact my, that I had to say the fact that I had to say the words "Shane Black is bombastic and over the top" definitely hurt a little bit. Actually, maybe we should get votes. I almost left. Just saying. Maybe Sorry. we should get votes first before you talk. So you don't. Sorry. He did say that on the record. I want that on the record. <laughs> All right. Um. Alrighty, I am ready when the other judges are. I'm good. All right, uh, this is fun <laughs> uh, because, uh, especially when you know, like behind the scenes stuff about these players and what they actually like and whatnot, uh, it's very fun. Uh, but this is kind of what I expected from this fight. Um, I, I I went with Cody. Um, I thought that both did actually a really good job, and I thought Coho started strong and was actually uh, uh, was having my vote for a while. Um, but then he did kind of just start to repeat, repeat himself. And Cody, I thought, was doing a good job of being able to take him, take him down, and being like, you know, like pointing out all of the things in Die Hard with a Vengeance that uh, are kind of silly. Uh, and he was all of the things that Coho was saying against Lethal Weapon too. I thought Cody did a good job of uh, being able to rebut. And I, I thought Cody overall just had the edge on it. But it was close. This was a good fight. Both are really great movies um, that I personally enjoyed. These would be the two picks if I were fighting it. So I thought this was great. Uh, Brian, uh, this probably pained you a little bit, huh? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very happy this is a new category in fan, by the way. Um, so I'm glad to see all this stuff in here. Uh, I do love both these franchises. Um, I will say Lethal Weapon 2 is probably my least favorite of that franchise. Really? And Die with a Vengeance, I actually love, although I do agree the ending's a little bit of a mess. Um, but that being said, I did end up voting for Cody, just based on the debate. Um, I think that uh, Caleb did a very good job early on, uh, talking about them expanding the universe, kind of building on it, kind of not, not being just a carbon copy like he said Lethal Weapon was. But then when started, Cody started attacking, especially with that second hour, I never really heard much of a defense of that whole part of it, so I had to go with Cody. All right, Mark, your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone and why? Um, yeah, I was also going, Cody. It was really close. I was thinking about it the whole time. Um, yeah, it, I think where, where Cody won it for me is whenever – I, I think you, you both kind of said it where he kind of attacked, like, the third act of Die Hard of Vengeance. And I kind of liked a lot of what Cody was saying about kind of building up the family angle on Lethal Weapon 2 and – I feel like that was probably the strong, strongest part of the argument. It was really close, though. I, I I was thinking about it until, like, the last second. All right. 
Uh, so Cody wins point number one, but we are going to move on to question numero two, which was drafted by Mr. Coho. And uh, just because Disney live action is gone doesn't mean that you can't put it into the to the zone part. Although I guess we might have to change the name from fan zone to fan lay. Uh, the question is in the category of action adventure. I never thought about that until this fucking moment. Thanks for changing yeah. the name, Cody, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Let's keep fans up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fan uh, anyway, uh, the question in the category of action adventure drafted by Mr. Coho is which Pirates of the Caribbean character would make the most interesting spin-off film. Uh Ko, because you drafted this one, you get to go first. You have one minute when you start talking. I think the character who presents the most opportunities for storytelling is to take Captain Hector Barbosa and do any infinite thing you want with him. Because you can either do late stage adventures with Jeffrey Rush, who is still a charismatic leading man, but the thing I think you can most well do with him is to go back to the the origins of Barbosa and how he meets Jack and how he gets on the Pearl and what does Barbosa climbing up the ranks, backstabbing different crews and captains to become the person he is look like. And what does the family life of Hector Barbosa and everything, who is Hector Barbosa? I think that is a question that actually poses a lot of dramatic uh, possibilities. Uh, you can do a lot of great storytelling on whether it's the black Pearl where he and Jack could be characters together, or if you want to do it before he even meets Jack, I think there's an infinite room of interesting possibilities and storytelling that you can do with Hector Barbosa as a character, because there's so many dimensions that we've seen to him in five movies that you can really play with any different version of this character and make a great story with him as the protagonist, because they've shown that he's like a good person deep down when he wants to be, and also a evil backstabber. All right. All right, uh, we're going to move over to Cody. Cody, you have one minute when you start talking. Um, I believe there was only one correct answer to this. And um, besides the jail dog that I really wanted to use, I'm going to pick the, um, Davy Jones. Davy Jones is clearly the best one. And I think the best thing about a successful spinoff is to get away from Captain Jack Sparrow. He has to stand alone. He has to be by himself or without the help of a pirate. Um, and Davy Jones, before he becomes involved with Jack Sparrow, uh, the getting the Kraken, the Dutchman, basically him and Calypso is like a Bonnie and Clyde through the seven seas. Sounds like an absolutely fucking perfect ride. Not just one movie. How about five? I'm okay with every single one of them. Him, him meeting like pirates that he has to take debts from basically a bounty hunter for the seven seas you had me at that there's no better thing barbosa yeah uh meh strike it from the record uh I think all I right so we're gonna bring in coho guys you get five minutes um be nice I have no interest in Solo, a Star Wars story for Davy Jones, because the worst aspect of Outworld's End is the backstory of him and Calypso. And if you're going to go back to a young Davy Jones, the Bill Nighy can't play the part. And I don't need that. I don't want Bill Nighy to not be the part. I don't want de-aged Bill Nighy. I don't want recast Bill Nighy. And the other issue you have is if you want to make Davy Jones when he has the squid and the quacking and all that, he can't be the protagonist. He's a terrifying antagonist. And I don't need to see you Venom or Morbius Davy Jones into not being the best character in Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't need you to take this amazing villain, side character him off, and put him in a place where he has to be the protagonist when he is a despicable, evil person that ends perfectly in that world's end. 
sure, sure. Are you telling me you're pitching a Jeffrey Barbosa? A Barbosa, a Hector Barbosa that doesn't have Jeffrey Rush if you're going to go younger? I refuse to see this, my friend. Oh, and on the, on top of that note, the best Pirates movie out there features five seconds of Barbosa. That's how interesting this man is that he's five. Who is he without Jack? Even in your opening pitch, you did the perfect job ever. You had to sell me that him and Captain Jack are back together because at the end of the day, if it isn't for Captain Jack and it isn't the Pearl, no one knows Barbosa from another pirate amongst a bunch of different things. And it's proven after movie, after movie, after movie, after that first one. He's a perfect side character that has a big hat and yells a lot. But overall, he's not. Davy Jones finding the cracking, flying the Dutchman, and collecting souls for his ship. Sold. You Prequel. already have two movies. You have two movies of doing that. Prequel, Davy Jones is just going to go down the shitter because he's not. You can't make him the main character. He has to be the bad guy, and he has to be doing evil things. And I can't root for Davy Jones killing random good guys. You have to give me a good guy to care for for him to kill, and that doesn't work. And again, with Barbosa, there's a lot of possibilities. If you want to have Jack, you can have Jack. If you don't want to have Jack, you don't have to have him. But the issue is, I think Barbosa has so much room. You could do a story between three and four where it's him after he takes the pearl from Jack and goes on that adventure after Blackbeard. Show me what happened before On Stranger Tides, and then you can have Jeffrey Rush. That's what I'm saying is the question is the most interesting spinoff and Barbosa gives me the most interesting possibilities with multiple ideas to explore because Barbosa is a distinct verbose personality that controls the first movie actually where he comes in and your favorite scene in the entire series is Hector Barbosa as a skeleton pirate. It is literally the scene you love and it is proof that he could carry his own story with or without Jack whereas yours is so reliant on a character that if you want to go back into his history we've already seen it and it's the worst part of one of the worst movies. He can't stand on his own. Hold on, you're saying this, but literally we had five movies of Johnny Depp playing the pirate. Don't tell me it's overused. We haven't seen that story from an actual technical space. Yeah. Hold on, pause, for pause. And at the end of the day, I'm not even saying that. What Even if on the ship, if you get a great director, great script, those members on that ship playing the dice game is one of the most interesting things ever. So you could even have them just sailing around and having a whole other conversation. You're pitching this in the world of your Disney-ified Pirates of the Caribbean, but I'm saying this that's not in the question. The perfect spinoff is anything and everything is open. And I'm saying Davy Jones has the most story. And if he does partner up with Calypso and you need a good person, bootstrap bill that man has to serve a life sentence and he's a perfect person to tie into one of maybe the next movie this movie who knows how did he get on the ship what was the crime all these fun things that we can explore we already know that because they were covered in the movies that you don't watch. We know that Bootstrap Bill's on that ship because of what Barbosa did to him. And he literally we takes know. the debt to save his... Exactly, so why do I need to see but it? But we get to see it. But we get to see it need, now. No, 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 I don't need to see it because here's the issue. You keep why? bringing up... Because okay, you're bad you're directing? Didn't make it happen? Now we get no, to see good because, because narratively that doesn't work with him as a protagonist because you can't root for someone that's going to slice and dice a bunch of people. That's the thing. You can't root for Davy Jones when his whole origin story, which you've already seen. I'm going to say this again and again. You've seen clips of there's no Bonnie and Clyde. There's no Bonnie and Clyde. That story didn't happen. Bonnie and Clyde doesn't exist. She was a fucking crab goddess that gets bound in a fucking ship by a guy with one eye. We know everything. You keep pitching. It happened. But I you said, it. I said this, no, I said no. this. We've seen young people. I said the stuff We've before. I said the stuff before it. Finding the, getting it. the ship. No, you haven't seen it. You've seen it in flashback. You've seen it in storytelling. I'm saying a two-hour adventure with him as the crack. Sorry something. that you picked the wrong thing and you got fucking railroaded. You lose. Oh, Sorry. Good day, sir. You're 
picking you to pick Solo in the Bullshit Carbon franchise, you idiot! You're picking Solo! You're literally going to let's. Hey, how That's did you get Davy Jones? How did he get the name Davy Jones? He met a guy. His name is Davy. Oh, let me take the fucking name Davy, Cody. It doesn't make any fucking sense. You You're picked Barbosa. That's not even a main character or featured in anything. He's in, not in, in, in your favorite pirates movie. In your but in your pirates movie, the best pirates movie, he's not even included. No one cares about Barbosa. Then why is he all five? Stop talking. Oh my Rules. <laughs> he just yells because he's a pirate bitch. That's basically it. Oh my god. Holy shit. Sorry, you picked the wrong one. <laughs> I picked the right answer. I That's true. That made me laugh so hard. Okay, Cody. Whew. Okay, I'll get it together. I'm really sorry. All right, Cody, you get one minute when you start talking to close your argument. He acts like stuff that happened in these movies are set to make sure they happen in the next one. That's not how this works. Spinoffs can have interpretations and take these characters in different directions that we have not seen. Him taking the Dutchman, him collecting souls, him collecting bounties are something that would be so interesting. The cracking, raining down on stuff. These are things. Barbosa is just a side piece character after the first one that no one cared about. He just moves along with Jack, and he's like, oh, look, Jack, look, I got your map. You want to sit here and talk? No one cares about Barbosa. He couldn't sell his own movie. Meanwhile, Davy Jones, even if Calypso and him, that relationship told out on a cinematic two hours and actually telling by a good director and a person that actually knows how to make films instead of these competent jackasses that made three, four, and five pirates, this is what the world we could create. Davy Jones is the most interesting character and could run multiple movies, but if it's just one, I want to see him in The Dutchman again, flying it, and Bill Nighy returns. All right. Uh, Coho, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. He can't attack Barbosa because there's no way to attack a character that has this much narrative potential for a spinoff. He keeps going, oh, he's just the bombastic side character. He was literally the main character of the first one next to Jack. Like, he has he has a daughter. He had relationships. These movies show that this character has more than outside Jack Sparrow, and I want to explore that in so many different ways. Show me how he becomes Hector. Show me who Hector is when he's away from Jack because there's five movies with Hector in it, and there's so much space in between for storytelling. When he keeps going, oh, there's room for Davy Jones. There's room for you to watch Davy Jones in two scenes of day of Dead Man's Chest doing what he does because he wants you to do the worst part of At World's End, which is to take that relationship, which was already told by Oscar winner Gore Verbinski over the course of five hours, is already been told, and he wants to put it in the forefront with Lord and Miller getting fired halfway through, and you find out he becomes the Kraken. Like, I'm sorry, there's no potential. Everything he's pitching in his movie for narrative potential has been explored in every movie. So there's no new ground being broken. With Barbosa, the potential for spinoffs are infinite because there's so much room to play with the character of Hector Barbosa that you can't with Davy Jones. Oh my God. Sweet mercy, mother of God. We're just talking about a lot of stuff Brian loves tonight. I'm loving this new season. All right. <laughs> Best season judging one right now. So that, I, I blew the voice out already. I can hear you. Give me a second. Oh, man. <sighs> All right. Mark, you get to start this one off. Oh, nervous. Uh, 
I feel, I feel like we're. I, I think I was kind of like a, just thinking. I was just thinking about what would be interesting, and I feel like for me, it. I don't really feel like either of them really pitched to me like an interesting spinoff, but I feel like Coho did a very good job of kind of telling me why Cody's wouldn't be interesting. Like he, like I, I was really, I was kind of won over by the fact that everything that Cody was saying, Coho just kept saying, we've seen it already. And then he went back to the, you know, to, you know, be like uh, the good guy thing, like that Venom Morbius hit. Like I went back to that a lot. So I, I, I'm 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 gonna go coho for for that reason. I, I think I think he did a better job like hitting Cody over that. All right, um, I went with Cody. Um, I thought that it was close. Um, both I thought were bringing up a lot of good points. The Venom Morbius hit was good, um, but I also thought you know like there are so many movies about just like despicable villain characters that like art venom and morbius that like are good and we 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 like patrick bateman we like you know just like disgusting characters all the time so that it it, it it definitely added some value but like i wasn't totally won over by that and then uh but the the big thing for for me for cody was i actually coho brought up like oh you see his backstory we already know everything and cody was like um you see a flashback and we know that Barbosa has a daughter and this and that and the other thing. So, like, we already know everything there, too. So, who fucking cares? So, like, that point, they kind of, like, X those out for me. And then the big thing of Cody just being, like, he literally listed off, like, you can do the Bonnie and Clyde thing. You can do this. Uh, you can do the Dutchman stuff. You can see the Bounty Hunter stuff. And it doesn't necessarily need to fit, like, a perfect puzzle piece into the other movies because it's a spinoff it doesn't have to perfectly fit there that actually worked for me and because that unlocked my brain to so many other spinoffs we've had whether or not you think solo is good or not coho was jumping on that a lot and he was kind of proving cody's point of like solo doesn't fit like 100 perfectly but as a movie it kind of works so uh i thought it was really really close but i did i think cody got the edge on it uh brian you get to decide this one uh who's getting the point oh well, i think they're probably uh two of the best choices i think they both made good pitches for them um but i did end up voting for uh caleb um that reason being mainly because well i, I will say cody had me right up front when he said you know what have uh, Calypso and uh, Davy Jones doing the Bonnie and Clyde thing on the high seas. I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. Until Caleb started pointing out the factual inaccuracies in the argument, the fact that they never did that. She was the crab goddess and everything. And then he and he went on his mission to fairy souls, things like that. She wasn't a part of that. And so when he started picking apart the factually, the, why that factually couldn't happen in his movie, I had to give him the point. All right. So we're tied up one to one. Uh, we are uh, that's it. Uh, that's all I care for. Uh, Cody can have the rest of this. That's the only point <laughs> I wanted. Uh, thank you. We're going to move on to the next question. Uh, this was drafted uh, by Cody. Uh, this is going to be the category of directors. Question is, which 21st century Martin Scorsese film would you want to show someone to get them in to Martin Scorsese films? Uh, so Cody gets to kick this one off. Cody, you got one minute to open your argument when you start talking. 
If I yell like a dumb bitch, I might win a point. Okay, here we go. Uh, so if you're going to win the people over with Scorsese, I think you have to go big, and I think you have to go bold for Scorsese, and there's only one choice to do that, and that's the Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street gets a top-tier cast. Um, he usually works with top-tier cast, but overall the ensemble and the comedy that works in this movie can get the regular moviegoers instead of the organized crime that he normally... Uh, it's still, it still has crime elements, so there's still that that Scorsese moments, but it's not overall organized crime in influencing all of it. I think Leo gives one of the most amazing performances of all time. It also doesn't, you know, influence so much lingo and so much gang violence and stuff like that. I think that's the smart thing with it. I said, and if it's three hours long, it's running on everything. If they're going to be hooked by any movie, it's going to be the Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Uh, Coho, we're going to move over to you. You have one minute when you start talking. I think if I'm trying to find the gateway to Scorsese movies for someone, I'm going to try and find the most accessible one, and that's The Departed, which links so much to all of Scorsese's other work. The Departed's going to get you to go watch Goodfellas. It's going to get you to go watch The Irishman because it's that crime basis that makes Scorsese's best work shine because you have the great dialogue, you have the great intriguing plot between everyone, you have a cast of people that the average film person or average non-moviegoer is going to love, like Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson uh, and Martin Sheen. Uh, and I, I, I think if I were to try and get the average film goer like my mom to go, I could get her to watch The Departed because it is a great, straightforward crime drama with a great plot, the twists and turns, and great intrigue between all the different characters and a lot of great shining moments that show why Scorsese is a great director. It's the easiest one to sit down and understand and follow with what's happening. It's the easy, easy, easiest one to digest, and it's like a breeze. It feels like I'm watching a 20-minute short film and it's like two and a half hours long. I think The Departed is the easiest one to get someone to hook on Scorsese, at least to the rest of his career. Time. All right. Uh, Five-minute freeform, uh, Departed versus uh, Wolf of Wall Street, when one of you starts talking. It's really wild that the first person you want to introduce to uh, Scorsese is a remake of another film. That's just wild to me. That's not Scorsese at that point. That's him using another medium and not practicing his own sandbox. That's why I think The Wolf of Wall Street is the correct choice. Everybody who plays Scorsese against me tries to pick The Departed. Overall, I think The Departed is a great film, but I think if you're going to show organized crime and you're going to show them Scorsese, Goodfellas, uh, Casino, all better options for them for the first time going. I think overall The Departed is a little too convoluted at the very beginning of the movie to follow what's going for an average film goer. With the Wolf of Wall Street, straightforward. Basically, Jordan tells you everything that's going down as he goes thing. You can't get lost in the story that he is telling. Um, I would p- probably pick Goodfellas if that were an eligible answer to the question. However, uh, beginning in the 21st century, I think The Departed is the best and most correct answer because it gateways you to everything else. I think The Wolf of Wall Street is a little too... The Wolf of Wall Street is nothing like Scorsese's ever made. I don't think your point about it being a remake has any bearing on whether or not it's a good Scorsese movie. It's a good Scorsese movie. He directed the movie, and it's a good way to get you to other Scorsese movies. The Wolf of Wall Street's big issue is that it's nothing like it, and if you like Wolf of Wall Street, you might not even like any other Scorsese movie because he's never made anything like it again. It won't gateway you into anything. Like, I think Wolf of Wall Street's a great movie. It's a very exhausting movie. It's a very tiring movie. I would never show this first to someone and go, hey, this is who Scorsese is, because by the end of it, it's like you watched a Boz Lerman Elvis movie. You went so long on go mode for so long, you're exhausted. I need a cigarette after I watch Wolf of Wall Street. I, I think that's a po- it's a great movie, but I think it's the poor choice for a first one, so the part is easy to digest. 
I would suggest go watch more Scorsese films if you don't know what Scorsese style is, because The Wolf of Wall Street is very on brand with Scorsese. It has all the stuff that he is known for and stretched over a three hour period. My thing is, yes, even Gangs of New York would have been an acceptable answer for this one, where I would have said more of the organized crime. My thing is where you're going to go with it is is you're taking Scorsese. And yes, the remake matters because you're like, if you like this, you can go on. What's What about the original thing? It doesn't show Scorsese's originality. It does mean everything. Picking a remake for Scorsese as this one for Scorsese to do is really weird. I would also say I would never recommend Cape Fear for somebody. That's just another remake too. When he pants it out, when he takes his own, when he takes his own story and makes it a movie, that's when he's the most brilliant. And that's where he is. I don't think that gateways you into it. I think that I think if you watch The Departed, you won't like Goodfellas. You won't like things leading forward because it's very different of a mob movie than The Departed is. Um, I actually would raise the issue that Scorsese's movies are almost exclusively adaptations of other mediums or other people's work entirely. He very rarely has ever made anything original. Well, that's fine. Wolf Wolf I'm Street, talking about Wolf a movie. Street, the Wolf of Wall Street itself is an adaptation. So I don't think that point holds any water because Scorsese is still... Well, it's a movie. movie. Hold on. Scorsese is still making the movie in his image and in his style. It's The Departed is nothing like Infernal Affairs, and it's a better movie. The Departed is Scorsese's better movie than Gangs of New York, and it gets you excessively into all of his crime stuff. It shows you his sensibility in the world of crime. I don't need every mafia movie he makes to be The Departed, but it shows you his dynamics of making mafia movies and what his sensibilities in crime are. The Irishman has similar sensibilities to The Departed. They're not the same movie at all, but they get you into the same headspace. Whereas The Wolf of Wall Street, that movie's not going to get you in the headspace of a single other Scorsese movie. I'm saying it's an exhausting tour de force of filmmaking. It's a great movie. It's just not the one I would use to show someone who Scorsese is because they're going to expect to see another kind of Wolf of Wall Street-esque billionaire story or a movie about excess. And he's never really done that. That's the only time he's ever done that. that You're not going to watch one of those... Wolf of Wall Street and sit down and go, I'm going to watch Cape Fear. Now. How are you going to talk? I'm you're just not gonna. You're just not gonna sit there. You're not gonna sit there and tell me that every time you watch one person goes, "Oh, is this another billionaire?" That's just, just a silly conversation. And there's a classic times that people have watched The Departed because it's earlier, and they watch it. And they go back and watch Goodfellas and Casino. And go, oh, you're missing a lot from it. Yes, because it's a cat and mouse thing that is placed off another movie. Say that he works in other mediums or adaptations. That's correct. But he de he de basically takes that movie and remakes it. That tells you, go watch that person's work to get his inspiration from what Scorsese. Overall, The Wolf of Wall Street, if they're going to get into Scorsese, that is the movie to get them because he will practice and go all out and go to that violence and go to that gore side of it, and you'll be able to accept it if you watch The Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street has a cast and a comedy element that will actually gravitate you into it. Departed has so many moving pieces in it that if you miss something, you can be completely lost in what's going on in that film. I wouldn't necessarily say Wolf of Wall Street prepares you for anything. Like it's Wolf of Wall Street's not an especially gory movie. It's just a very exhausting movie. There's nothing in his filmography to suggest that any other film that he would make could be prepared. You could be prepared to watch because you've seen Wolf of Wall Street. Like the Wolf of Wall Street does not get me in the headspace to watch The Irishman. I don't need The Departed to be a one to one to any other gangster movie he's made, but it gets me in the mindset and the tone of what his sensibilities are in the worlds that he does best, which is the thing. And you keep bringing up the remake thing. The remake doesn't matter because Scorsese made The Departed. The Departed. Yes, the it movie, does. The movie is. Is the Departed is a perfect gateway to Scorsese because he's still doing everything that makes Scorsese movies great. It's why he won the Oscar for it. You're showing the everything. people. You're showing the people a movie. You're showing the people a movie based on a remake of some of those work. That's not his work. That's not Scorsese. All right, Coho, you get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking.
If that's the case, read the Wolf of Wall Street book because that's not based on any original Scorseseisms ever. He's never had an original Scorseseism. Though what makes Scorsese great is his directing techniques, and he does all of them in The Departed. It's why they gave him the Oscar. He did such a great job with that movie, and it's such an accessible, easy movie to sit down and enjoy. The convoluted plot is like intricate. It's not convoluted. It's something that they make sure you can follow because Scorsese is a good director. And that's why I think The Departed gets you into the headspace of what he does best. It's the elements of his filmmaking that people gravitate to most that would get you in the headspace to watch other things. It would get you in the headspace to view his work with the specific prism of this is who this guy is. The Wolf of Wall Street doesn't tell me anything about Scorsese as a director, and it doesn't tell me anything about his other work. The Wolf of Wall Street doesn't get me ready to watch Shutter Island. It doesn't get me to ready to watch Hugo. It's a great movie, but it's so much outside of his ballpark of what he regularly does that it is it is more aligned with Oscar-winning films of the 2010s than it is anything Scorsese made outside this decade. Like, I think it's a great film. I just don't think I would use it to introduce. It's a lot to handle, whereas The Departed is an easy movie to watch. Time. All right, go over to Cody for his one-minute closing when he starts talking. Overall, The Departed is a movie that you can you can say won all these awards and all these things, but overall, it's organized crime. It gets you right into what he does, but it's completely different than all his other organized crime movies or even any other movie that he goes going forward. It makes no sense to introduce somebody to that movie because the bigger hits later on in his career, they won't gravitate towards, and they won't play into when he plans different things. Overall, his best directing work, yes, he didn't win the Oscar for it, but is The Wolf of Wall Street. He creates this epic that's three hours long that gravitates you in and makes it feel like 90 minutes. The movie is there to accept a person that you don't like, you care for at the end of the film. Like That's what he is able to create when these characters and these these uh, character studies that he's able to do. He does that throughout his entire career with Jake LaMotta and Raging Bull that hits his wife and beats him. Jordan Belfort is a person that you gravitate towards, including the Irishman. All mobsters that you don't like, he's able to create these mediums of people that you're able to gravitate to and enjoy for three hours. Time. All right. Bring in the judges. All right. Judges ready? Not really, but okay. Brian, you get to go first. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, they've all been, every one has been close so far. Um, I didn't have to go with Coho. Um, for me, I think he just did a real good job of, uh, of explaining how, how he, he felt that Wolf of Wall Street is not really like a lot of the other ones of, of uh, of Scorsese's and how this one is kind of one that will is better for introducing them to that because it won't be that if they see that then they will move on to Irishman and Goodfellas things like that like you mentioned. Um, we talked about how it was accessible with a, you know a big uh, cast of of well known actors that people would like that maybe aren't, aren't in Scorsese. I uh, talked about the Oscar thing and also just how he talked. He was able to counter um, Cody's accusation being convoluted. Um, just you know, it's more intricate plot, but it's not necessarily convoluted. So I end up leaning towards Coho. Uh, Mark. Um, yeah, those are really close. I went the other way. I, I ended up going with Cody. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, he, he did like, he did a good job at least going with like the remake hit, like with Inferno Affairs. I think uh, he brought at least a decent argument about him having better crime films. Maybe if you watch the part, you may not end up going other one. And I kind of think he, he kind of pointed out at like the originality hit, at least for his, 
like it kind of shows like a Wolf of Wall Street shows Scorsese originality. Like I think Co made some pretty good points, at least with it being maybe more accessible and maybe Wolf not a great uh, gateway. But I, I kind of a uh, I, I think I think Cody's points are probably a little bit better there. All right, that means I get to decide this one. It's my favorite part of the show. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Brian that this was close. Like all of these have been close and like kind of epic this is turning out to be kind of exactly what i wanted um and i did think that um there were a lot of good points made on both ends this is tough i love both of these these are if you go to my letterbox top four these both of these movies are my number three and my number four are my top four um and i thought that both made really good points about like i thought i thought the remake point did work uh and i thought that uh coho's rebuttal of like well it, it is all of his films are more or less adaptations of something also worked um and i do think that uh coho's point about like it's not uh wolf of wall street isn't necessarily like a big crime movie but i thought cody made a good point of saying well gangs of new york is a better crime movie and that was eligible as well and you didn't pick that it's really close coho i swear i don't hate you but i went with c news um, and the thing that finally got me on the edge of Cody was actually the closing. Um, I was not sure where I was going the whole time, but I thought Cody made a really strong point at the end of saying, you're saying that Wolf of Wall Street doesn't get you in the mindset of every other Scorsese movie. Well, every other Scorsese movie has these characters like Jordan Belfort that you despise but you end up on their side or rooting for them or you care about them in some kind of capacity as a negative character and he pointed out jake lamada um uh uh the irishman he point he made he gave things to support that i thought that was one of cody's strongest closings ever that i've heard um he basically took an argument that i thought i was like wow He's going to kill me when I vote for Coho on this because Coho was edging him out just that much. And then I thought Cody's closing was just really fucking strong. So I did go with Cody, uh, which means Cody's up two to one. As we get into the final prep question, Coho needs to hit this in order to move on. Uh, if Cody hits this, he will win to go on for the title. So the category uh, that we're going to be talking about was drafted by Coho. It's in the category of Star Wars. The question is, what is the stupidest moment in a Star Wars prequel? Uh, specifically, episodes one through three. No Clone Wars, no Solo. Fuck that. Uh, so, uh, despite being asked. <laughs> but you guys uh, are going to get one minute. Uh, Coho, you're going first. You get one minute to open this when you start talking. I think the stupidest thing, just, let's start by saying there's plenty of stupid things in all three of the prequels. Uh, but I think the thing that is the stupidest is the thing that has literally no reason to happen, which is Padme dying of sadness when they gave the movie so many outs to kill her in a way that makes sense to Vader's character and enrich him going forward. Uh, and instead, she dies because sad, because George Lucas doesn't want to hurt Anakin Skywalker's character, despite him having massacred a room full of children in cold blood. Uh, there's no reason for him to not have just killed Padme in a fit of anger by throwing her and have that be the reason, complications of this fit of anger causing her to die. Instead, we are left with a half-assed, empty, un unsatisfying explanation that Padme died because she lost the will to live and was just too sad to carry on, despite having had 
Luke and Leia and having a galaxy to fight for uh, and being probably the most important asset that they now have lost. It's just because she's not in the originals. It's a terrible movie. Time. All right, uh, Cody, you get to go next one minute when you start talking. I will agree. A lot of things are stupid in Star Wars. Anakin jumping to the high ground after Obi-Wan has it. Um, anything from most Star Wars movies. But um, I'm going to go with um, Boss Ness making Jar Jar Binks the general in a battle versus the droids. That man shouldn't be the general or a manager of a Walmart. And they literally place him in far of, of the city of Naboo. And they don't even sell it like it's not like Palpatine like convinces somebody else to like say, ooh, put Jar Jar as the general. No, they fucking do this willingly. They say, you know what? That's the guy. Sure, he's stuck, he sticks his tongues into things he's not supposed to, and he passes out as soon as the battle starts. So at the end of the day, dumbest, stupidest, the stupidest character takes the by having to lead. Time. All right, five minute free form when one of you starts talking. So, interesting point to consider is that Jar Jar Binks, throughout the entirety of the Phantom Menace, actually is the only character in that fight on that plane of action that has had one to one experience fighting droids already in the movie, having been up close with droids in the movie, has spent the entire movie with Jedi Knights, has spent the entire movie with the Queen of Naboo, and fighting the villains that they're fighting throughout the movie. Is it a weird choice physically to have that person lead. Sure. But on a logistical standpoint, that actually is not an in entirely irrational decision for them to have the only person on the planet at that point on that plane of action who has fought droids lead the lead them into battle against the droids. Where again, mine has actual a narrative out to take by having Anakin kill her by throwing her with the force. And they kind of just throw that away to have no real explanation to make it even stupider. Okay, so thank you for pointing the fact that uh, Jar Jar could be a good soldier inside this because he has hand-to-hand -hand combat. I don't think you know what a general does. A general leads, and he has yet to show anybody to lead any army. I think he's. The, I think there are many people in Star Wars that have led things, and they could lead people other than the person that shot two blasters while doing whatever he did. You're sad. You're you're mad. You're mad because Disney, or because not Disney. You're mad because Star Wars is for kids, and they didn't want to take it out. I'm sorry, but dying of a broken heart or dying of sadness is real. Old people features all the time. They've been with somebody for so long. Their love is so deep, and once that person abandons them or takes a thing, people have died from it. So I think that's a proper thing, and especially hold on. Especially, everything in Star Wars is about feeling and knowing and having emotions and controlling your emotions. So dying from sadness in Star Wars makes the perfect sense because that's in Star Wars. It's all about how your emotions dictate everything. And to kill her makes sense. Killing her does make sense. When Anakin has already in the movie, which you said is for kids, uh, is choking her to death in the air. Like, it's already happening. It, also, in this movie for kids, he has mm. murdered a room of 40, 50-odd You don't see that. Odd, you don't see odd, that. Oh, okay. Well, lightsaber comes out, and that's the scene. Anyway, this movie for kids is incredibly dark. There's no reason for her to fall to the ground, not fall to the ground, and then die later from complications of force choking, which is a thing you can just say is that she died from that reason and not sadness. She's not 68 years old. She's, like, 24. 
So there's a you can get around your kit argument. Again, actually, I don't think you realize what a general does, because a general is also in in charge of intelligence and strategy and planning. And Jar Jar Binks is the only person there with inside personal knowledge of what they're up against. Like, again, what I'm saying is, yeah, he's part of the group that leads. He has generals with him that will also do the leading. But the reason why you would make him one of 15 generals in the situation is because he's literally the only person there that has fought a droid. I think that makes a lot of okay. sense. Personally. Okay, you've talked but, a lot. Also, hold on. One, one last thing. One last thing. One last thing. People fail upwards all the time. You hired Adelaide Spence to write for Movie Wars. Um, it's melee. Um... Also hired you. Anyways, uh, so uh, my my take on that my take on that is um, so general. See, they're called inside knowledge. So you could pass it up to a general. And say, hey, just shoot them with a blaster. They kind of fall apart. That would have been news. He doesn't need to lead. You said intelligence. You said all these things. Jar Jar doesn't have any of them. He stuck his tongue in a pod racer. These are the things that this man was chosen to lead based on. Your thing about sadness. Your thing about sadness. I said she's supposed to die. But her dying based on emotions with like Anakin dealing with all this anger and stuff. That's why he could not be a Jedi master because all the anger, all the emotions that he was dealing with makes sense in the Star Wars world. That's the point. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it makes, it doesn't make the audience roll their eyes, but at the end of the day, yes, emotion has a play. It plays into everything in Star Wars. Jar Jar leading anything is really, really stupid, especially in an entire place of the galaxy as far as right you can't find somebody else to lead you pick jar jar i'm sorry you can't argue from that like he is the dumbest jackass and he is in charge of people's lives in charge of people's lives that's sad he cares for his people more than boss Das does which is proven in the opening he also is the only one there who he's the only one there that you're like oh he's, he's soldier whatever the thing is he's the only one there whether you care or not that can fight them because Naboo is in a blockade. You can't get Mace Windu to come. How did he fight get, him? How did he fight him? Anyone, you can't get anyone from Corsair. How did he fight him? I'll say it in my closing if you'd stop. Uh, I get the droids to come down and Jar Jar has to fight them because he's the only one. He's literally the only option. And the thing is, he's fought them. He's seen them. He got run over by them. He's been with Jedi. Like he's chosen because he's been with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. He's been with Padme. He's got the endorsement of the queen of fucking Naboo who they hate to do it. Time. All right, Cody, you get to close this one first. You have one minute when you start talking. He just sold it for me. Uh, he's got the endorsement of the Queen of Debu. All these dumbasses decided to Jar Jar. They haven't been in a room with him for three seconds. Hasn't heard of Misa Misa. Like, these are things the man has said in front of people, and you're going to put him in charge of people's lives. That's a problem for me. I have a huge issue with that. My thing is, you're mad because she didn't get split in half or choked or lightning or anything like that in the movie. Her dying of sadness is a nice way for Padme to go off because she's not in the other thing. And it makes sense within the Star Wars uniform. I, I keep saying it, you have to remember emotions is everything in Star Wars. Everything in your mindset of being a Jedi and everything. If 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 Obi-Wan woke up constipated one day, Yoda would come to him and goes, You don't seem right in the force today because he's concerned about the shit he's about to take later. Everything is emotion and tension-based. And that is where she dies. She dies of sadness because her the person she loved and went away on a sand planet together She's brokenhearted because he choked her. She's sad. We'll move over to Coho. <laughs> um, one minute when you start talking. 
every single person you mentioned is feeling feelings is a force user and a Jedi, which she is not. So she should not be in touch with her feelings that way. No one in Star Wars who isn't a Jedi cares about their feelings or is in touch with their feelings at all in that way. She would have to be the most powerful force user more than Yoda to just choose to die from feelings. That's just the case in point there that I tried to say before you ran me over with your words. So what I'm saying is, is Padme had an out. The storytellers had an out. This is the darkest Star Wars movie. And she's literally choked. Just say that it was complications with the choking. It's the stupid. There's no reason to not do this because it makes Darth Vader better. It makes him a better character, and it makes her death more tragic. It makes the ending that they want actually work. And again, Jar Jar Binks, he is endorsed by the people that they are split apart from and are trying to come together. It's a sign of peace, a sign of unity. He's been with the Jedi. He is the only person there with actual knowledge of how the droids work, of how the ships work. He's literally seen the electronic balls. He's been on the speeder. He rode a droid speeder and beat a droid off a speeder. He literally has escaped that city through sea monsters in that movie. He survived so many things and he knows the enemy. Of course he's the general. Time. Of course he's the general. Oh man, so many things wrong with so many things said by many people. I would uh, like to point out the co-host like, said that Jar Jar beat a droid off. <laughs> I did. I set off a scooter, I think, and then it cut out. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think it cut out, yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Ooh, I'm just God. full of sound bites today, guys. <laughs> Nothing is will ever be better than uh, the Koha match with RJ when RJ said, uh, what did he say about fucking a vol uh, whales can't fuck Vulcans or something? <laughs> whales, whales can't fuck Vulcans. Oh, my God. All right. Are the other judges ready? I guess. I guess. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go first, not because I want to, but because I have to. Um, this was interesting. <laughs> um, I felt like the there were good points brought up on both sides, and if I look at these on paper, I go with one pretty clearly. But I think, I'm sorry, Coho, I thought Cody News Bears did a better job of being able to explain to me why his was just fucking stupid. And I know, I, I don't know if I should be ashamed of this or not, but Cody did the pose a question thing uh, where he said, tell me how uh, Jar Jar fights them. And Coho said, I'll let you know in my closing." didn't tell me in his closing uh so there was that he just repeated all the information he had said um so i thought that was kind of like a uh. the other thing um also i thought that cody was able to point out pretty clearly just like hey like it, it, this is this is a real thing just because she didn't get like electrocuted by by palpatine or something i thought that was a good point i thought i thought coho had really good points too but at the end of the day the, the fight, it was another case of, like, not another from this match, but just in general, a case of one player making another player fight their fight. Cody got the topic and the conversation of the fight so much on Jar Jar that we barely spent any time on the Padme stuff, and I thought Cody did a good job of taking on the Padme stuff, so I had to go with Cody. Um I thought this was probably the one that was I, – I thought they were all close except for this one. I think Cody kind of 
kind of dominated this one in my opinion but uh i'm not the only judge here so brian where are you going uh well we're gonna see if cody hates mark for sending him to speed round because i didn't vote for goho um for me it, it was another great debate I, I i honestly think that uh coho's uh, reasoning as to why jar jar would have made a good general i thought that was a little weak i mean he the first thing he should have just said is they won the battle that never came up uh that would have been a good point. Um, but still, I end up, but still I thought there was a better argument for why his was stupider. While while the making Jar Jar a general was a dumb character decision by Boss Nass to do that, I think as far as what was a dumb moment in the prequels in the movie was this idea of of dying of sadness. Um, like you said, how, how you know he'd already for, force choked him. They didn't have to electrocute her or rip her in half or anything like that. It was meant they could have just said a you know complications from the force choke, which I honestly thought that's what was happening in the movie until they said she died of sadness. And and as Cody said, people did roll their eyes. And so, yeah, voted for call. All right, Mark, are we going to the speed round or are we done? Well, I don't like this. Maybe yeah, right? maybe, yeah. or maybe or not, I'll come back. But I did, I did go with Cody. I mean, it's just, like, it's in the question, what's the stupidest moment? And, like, in the notes I, I took during the match, I have Jar Jar is really dumb under double underline and I, I kept going back to, and even when coho brought up the point and like yeah well he's the only person who has any real experience with the droids Kodo came, uh, cody came right back at that with well he can just tell an actual general an actual good leader and then they can you know take that information and like that's and i mean he, he also hit hit hit, uh, hit the padme thing with dying to sadness is a real thing and I'm kind of with you, Tim. We we were we were kind of all over Jar Jar in this whole thing. I feel like we we're he like a coach is just really trying to convince us how the Jar Jar thing wasn't a dumb move. And I, I feel like Cody outlined pretty well why it really is just so stupid. Yeah. All right. Well, that means your winner is Cody Newberry. Uh, we're gonna start post match interviews. We're gonna talk to Coho first. Coho. I think you know by now, uh, we've been friends a long time. I give you a lot of shit, but I do not hate you. And that includes me not voting for you. I apologize. It was a really close game. This is one of the closest ones we had. I think um, Cody might just be an asshole in the post-match. Who knows? But I think he'll even say that this was closer than I think any of us thought it might be. Um, you came in prepared, maybe, question mark? You were ready to rock. And it was exciting to see. This was a great contender match. How are you feeling in the aftermath? I feel all right. Um, I think that, like, I, I don't think I I play bad. Like, I just wanted to come in and push Cody to the limits. I wanted to go to a speed round. I, I thought I worked so hard on that Scorsese argument and that Star Wars argument uh, to try and, and force a speed round. Because I figured if I can get it to a speed round, I have a chance. Um, I think the speed, round the, question would have, the speed round question would have been disgusting. I'm glad we didn't. Oh, Oh, I'll tell you what I, it is. Because <laughs> my, 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 I've always maintained Cody is the best prep fighter in the history of debate. Um, and I think that when we get to speed rounds, he does as best as he can. I think he's a good speed round fighter, better than he gives himself credit for even. Uh, but I knew that my best shot was just get him to a speed round. Cause that's, I think personally, that's my best uh, work is in speed rounds, but I could work quick. Um, but I sat down, I got out my old speech notebook uh, and I like drafted old school style my debate points for all four questions i went like state championship match level prep 
old school uh, for this. And I, I'm glad it I'm glad it paid off enough that I could at least win Pirates of the Caribbean. Because I actually I was so mad when he said Davy Jones because I'm so vehemently against that idea that I was like I'm coming in with so much anger at him picking that at all that I if I lost I personally was just like if I lose Pirates of the Caribbean I don't know what I'm gonna do. I genuinely like, I don't know how I'm gonna take this fight if I lose that one point. So I'm glad if I won any round that's the one I got. Um, I feel good about that. But Cody's great. I think we're going to have a new champion. Uh, and it's it's going to be a good one to watch on the rematch. Um, and I, I had fun. So that's all that matters. I do want to say, Coho, because you lost this match, uh, but it, it does mean we're going to get to see you again pretty soon. You're going to be in the tournament that's coming up. Uh, this does officially slot you as our number nine seed of the tournament. Um, yes. And you are going to be playing up against a uh, rookie from last season, uh, who also made it to a contender match, Brandon Cohen, the eight seed. Uh, any thoughts okay. about that going into it? Uh, Brandon's good. Uh, I am I'm interested in seeing how he handles my style. Because uh, today, I don't know if people noticed it, uh, I, I changed my style up a lot because my regular style would not work for Cody anymore. He's immune to me being loud and obnoxious. I had to find a new way to work with Cody, uh, and I don't. it didn't work, but... Brandon's going to have to get old school coho again because I can't keep up that facade for a lot of debate rounds. I'm not going to be able to keep up this calm demeanor when talking about anything anymore. That's uh, so. Calm demeanor? Jesus. Uh, this is me being a lot calmer than normal, man. Davy Jones is the most explosive I've been ever. But, uh. That's fair. All right. We'll see you in round one of the tournament, coho. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's bring in the winner today, Cody. Uh, Cody, you going to be nice or are you going to be – what, what, what you doing? How you feeling, buddy? Well, I don't know. I'm I, I have a mixed feeling from this match. If this is how I debated today versus Kirk, I'm probably going to get knocked out. Um, uh, I think these were a lot closer fights than they needed to be. Um, Coho, that's a calm Coho. That's fine. He fucking just screamed for a, a minute and a half on why Davy Jones doesn't work, even though I pitched that. It's an adaptation. It doesn't have to go off of what fucking Disney did. Um, but apparently, that doesn't matter. Um, uh, yeah, I there, there are points that I was just like, I, I mean, I might have to buy something for Brian and send it to him. Like, he gave, he voted for Cole three times. I don't know if that's going to hold against Kirk. Um, you were apologizing. Brian just said fuck Coho Cody every time he turned the board. It was fine. It was fine. We're, we'll get over it. We'll grow together. We're family. We're friends. We're family. We're friends. I said we'll grow together. We're fine. We we can have tips. Um, uh, but I mean, again, I am debating a little bit. I had the break. I mean, I needed like a Coho kind of fight to get ready for Kirk because I don't know what to throw at Kirk this time that I didn't throw at last time. Um. But I'm gonna be ready for whatever it is. I'm I will swing my hardest, most prep I've ever done. I will be ready for Kirk Kolodowski this time. Um, and again, worst case scenario, I mean, go down to the last fucking question, I'll lose on forty for thirty seconds. So like, I mean, that was how much he beat me last time was thirty seconds. So um, that's all I have to tell myself. So yeah. But again, Coho it's Coho to nine seed. God bless America for everybody. If he takes it half as serious as he did today, like shit. That Brandon doesn't have a shot in hell. Like he could have won today. I mean, if I was on the other side, I could have voted for him for a couple. So like hats off. Yeah. All right, Cody. Uh well, 
This does mean that in two weeks' time, we're going to see you in that title match. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you then. Uh, but we're going to get final thoughts uh, from the judges uh, who I introduced at the beginning. So lovely. Uh, Mark, let's get final thoughts from you. Your first time on the desk. Thank you for being here. What would you think? Uh, oh, yeah, this is really good. Uh, s- several of these uh, several of these came down to like maybe like a point or two. Uh, like all of them are really close. I I didn't expect at least like most of them to be as close as they were. Uh, no, this is a really fun one for me to, you know, be here first time. No, it's cool. Thanks for letting me be, be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. I'm going to bother you now uh, all the time. Uh, Brian, final thoughts from you, my friend. Uh, well, like I said, I like the categories this time. So, you know, this, this is a fun one for me to judge. Um, honestly, every single one of them was very close. This is maybe the closest one I, th- I feel I've ever judged. Uh, Cody thinks I hate him, but I mean, it, it, the only evidence you need that I don't, I voted against a diehard movie. Come on. I voted for you against a diehard movie. So clearly I'm not just swayed by the, by, by the answers. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it was fun. I, I, they, I'm glad I didn't wear earphones today because it got loud, uh, especially during that Pirates one. But uh, it was fun. Yeah. So we're going to see you guys in a couple weeks with the um, title match. Kirk versus Cody. We'll find out who's going to be there at the end of uh, the tournament uh, at Mayhem at the Multiplex six holy fuck uh what a world we live in uh but other things coming up in the tournament um i would like to say that the first match of the tournament officially after this match now that all the seating is set the number one seed of the tournament is bill Cariola. the number 16 seed who is going up against bill in match one mike motherfucking hanley uh is what we're getting in match one of the tournament bill versus mike i don't know what i'm more excited for if it's cody versus kirk two or bill versus mike whatever it is it's gonna be great uh so thank you guys for watching we'll see you guys with the title match we'll see you with the tournament thank you so much goodbye there we go thank you very much please come again we have a lot more groceries